Well, we get to talk a, a little bit about Acts today. If, uh, I'm sorry if you're a visitor here today, we've been going through for the last about 12 weeks uh, the book of Acts and so this is the first of four talks where we're going to look at some of the themes that came up through that book of Acts. So I'll be referencing some of those things. If you haven't been with us, uh, don't worry if you've been a Christian for a long time like Christine there, she'll have no problem following along. So the title um, I was given was uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now last year, about February, I spoke about receiving the Holy Spirit. Who remembers what I said in February 2020? Look, I couldn't remember what I'd said either. I had to, I had to listen to it because I wanted to make sure I didn't repeat myself, but that's good. We're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I wanted to broaden it out a little bit and just think about the theme of, of the Holy Spirit. One thing we, uh, we know about the book of Acts is that it's not didactic. It's not a book that sets out a series of propositions. And so you can say, uh, you know, turn to chapter 8. That'll tell you everything you need about the, the Holy Spirit or, or about Jesus or about atonement. It's descriptive. And so there's a whole load, there's a, a wide gamut there through those 30 years that are covered in the book of Acts where we see the Holy Spirit in action. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was like the wind. Said, uh, he says, you hear its sound, you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So we look through the book of Acts and we see the way that the, the Spirit of God is moving. Now that's important because uh, if you were here for the first couple of weeks of our Acts series, Sean introduced it for us. And what he said was, we want the teaching team would like this book to act as a mirror. So in other words, we're not just looking through Acts to say, wow, that was fantastic how things happened 2,000 years ago but to look at a mirror in terms of what's the Holy Spirit doing in my life? What's it doing in our life? What's it doing in our community life here as a church? The word Holy Spirit, I looked in my NIV, it occurs 96 times in the New Testament. 42 of those are in Acts, nearly half of them. So you can tell that we can tell a great deal about the Holy Spirit from his activity as he dealt with people, as he dealt with uh, groups. That's helpful, I think, because there are themes that kind of come through, and they probably come through in your life. Many of us here were born again. That's the, the Bible terminology for when we're born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us, and it changes us. Many of us here would have experienced that. So my personal experience, there are things that are quite consistent with the way the Holy Spirit works in my life. So I was... Uh, I was kind of looking for more of God as a, a late teenager and so I prayed and I prayed to God because I wanted more of him and then shortly after that I had a great desire to read God's word that's consistent with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is someone that wants to draw us to God's word and in reading God's word what I found was Jesus it was far beyond my expectations uh, you know that song um, the opening the eyes of my heart. I want to see him high and lifted up. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so you find, and most of you will have found, yeah, when that happened, when I was born again, suddenly I saw Jesus in another way and he was high and lifted up. And then as a result of that, we see our own sin. We're convicted of our own sin, which we repent of. That brings us to a place of obedience. And then in my life, shortly after that, the, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, now it's time to, to get with some people. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is interested in gathering a community to worship Christ. 
and to disciple each other and to encourage one another and to be the kind of place that when people look at a group of God's people they say yeah the spirit is really active there and it brings glory again to Jesus so that's what happened I came to a place I was gonna say a place like this it was this place I came to this church uh, 25 years ago and then the Holy Spirit gave me a ministry an impulse to minister to others in whatever way it might have been cleaning the church it might have been speaking to people's lives it might have been uh, doing something up here whatever it was there's the impulse to serve why because the impulse of the Holy Spirit is to serve just as Jesus Christ served to serve each other and to be unified as a group to use the gifts that we've been given so when we look at the book of Acts you can see the same themes occurring over and over again open your Bible to to Acts chapter 2 this is the very beginning where we see um, Jesus had said to his uh, disciples uh, don't head back to Galilee I want you to stay here in Jerusalem because uh, not many days from this you're going to receive the Holy Spirit power he said power is going to come from on high and you know that no one is not changed by the Holy Spirit in their life you were changed these guys were changed remember what it was like in the last part of the Gospels when they were weak and fearful hiding behind locked doors suddenly uh, in this first book of Acts there's incredible boldness and just a little while on and a couple of chapters on you might remember they looked at these people and there was something strange about that they were bold and then it says they began to recognize these are outsiders recognize oh they'd been with Jesus there's something different about this people so boldness um, came through but then um, in Acts chapter 2 probably I'll, I'll miss over the bit where amazing things happen with tongues and things like that but the, the section that I always come back to and probably every pastor and every person that's interested uh, in the church and the Holy Spirit comes to is the last part of chapter 2 the effect of the Holy Spirit remember that uh, people had come into Jerusalem from all over the place and it says in verse 42 they devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching well they didn't have a Bible how else would they find out about Jesus they had this insatiable desire to know about Jesus and so they devoted themselves It's a powerful word isn't it it's not that just they came by they devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching and to the fellowship what a word that is whole books have been written about that this fellowship um, I think one of the versions says the sharing of the common life understanding that they're all one this in itself was amazing because these people come from everywhere now they talk about Elamites and, and Medes and from all over that know what they didn't know them from Adam and suddenly they're devoting themselves to the fellowship of one another and it says to the breaking of bread and to prayer these are this is the work of the Holy Spirit this is what he calls us to and then it says they were together had everything in common in verse 46 every six or eight weeks they continue to meet together I mean that is a mate when there wasn't anything else on they made the time the Holy Spirit gives you such a desire that you want to meet with brothers and sisters it says every day they would meet in the court they just could not get enough that is the power and that is the action of the Holy Spirit and you might have noticed it in your own life you might have noticed it in others that suddenly there's a change in that person and suddenly this group of people that we see here is is no longer just a group of motley people I actually really care about those people now I, I want to minister to them or I want to stop them from heading in the wrong direction and I want to I want to get together I want to worship together that's an impulse of the Holy Spirit and as a result uh, many 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 
came to know Jesus. So I ask you, if we're going to use this as a mirror, is that the way you feel? Is that the way you feel about God's word? Do you love it? Do you desire it? Have you got this thirst to know God? What about these guys? How do you feel about them? Do you have a desire to be involved in those people's lives? Do you know what fellowship is? When you look at those faces, do you go, yeah, I want to be with those people? And not just on a Sunday morning, but I want to be with them as much as I can. And I want to be blessed by them and I want to bless them and I want to serve them and I want to have a, a ministry to those people. How do we feel about... Are we filled with joy? One of the things that you, you note through the book of Acts and one of the things that I experienced even in difficult times was this joy, which is hard to define. And I know some of you have felt this, maybe all of you have felt this, this underlying joy even in the midst of difficult situations. Is that how you're feeling now? Do you feel that joy? Do you feel boldness? Every time I think of boldness, I think of Helen. I look at Helen and I think that, that's not her natural personality to be a bold person. I think Helen would agree. But I see a boldness in her regularly. That's an attribute of the Holy Spirit. Do you feel bold about your faith, about what you believe, about who you are? Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, Paul kind of went very clearly into what it is to be part of the fellowship of God. He said it's like a body. And he says no one in the body, you, you, you're not jealous of each part of the body, you're trying to build the other part up. You're, you're in sympathy with the other part. You've never had the experience, have you, where you've got a sandwich in your hand and the hand says, I don't want to give this to the mouth. This is too good. It doesn't work that way. We work together and that's the activity of the Holy Spirit. But the reason 1 Corinthians 12 was written was because 1 Corinthians 11 was written. It's a chapter we often go to because we love to drag it out and we love to read these bits about communion. But turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's see the, the situation with Corinth. Keep in your mind those activities in Acts chapter 2, that love, that devotion, that, that care. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 17, Paul says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. What a mind blower. Your meetings, these meetings that were once a place of devotion to God, of lifting Christ high, of caring for each other, of prayer, of the apostles' teaching, now do more harm than good. That's amazing. It is amazing. And their ailment is our ailment. It's 2,000 years ago that the same kind of things that beset the Corinthians can beset us. So what, what's the reason for that? How could things change? How could things be so poor in comparison with those Acts 2 church? Well, one possibility would be that though that church, even though they did the church things, weren't actually born again. That the spirit wasn't actually, hadn't actually come upon them and so they were just living and going through the motions. Is that possible? 
It's possible for people to do that. Rod says it's possible. Have you seen that, Rod? Yeah. I was in a church that was like that. When you think about the place I came out of, it was a place where they did all the things that we do. They pray, they read the Bible, they spoke to others uh, about God, uh, they had fellowship, but they didn't even claim to have the Holy Spirit. So it can be done. And one of the things that is important for us to recognise and ask the question, if we're using that as a mirror, is have I been born again? Is, this, is what I have inside a conviction or is it that's just cultural? It's just I've always grown up in this place and this is what we do and we meet together and we pray and we read the Bible when we can and, and so on. That's an important question to ask. Important question to ask for every person, not only young people, but also people who've you know, been in the church for a long time. I don't think it was their problem, because in 1 Corinthians he says, all of you, when you were baptised, were baptised into Christ. So I think they were people who had received the Spirit of God, had these impulses to love God and so on, but maybe it had been a little time in the past, and things had depleted in their life. So... What would you do? If you're a person that hasn't been born again, what's the answer to that? Well, I think the first answer, or if you're feeling that, you're not feeling joy, you're not feeling love for the scriptures, you're not feeling love for Christ, you're not feeling that you want to serve, is to recognise the, that the problem is there. That's got to be the first sign. I don't know if Gary would agree with me, but I would assume that he would say that if there are no vital signs in a person, that's a reason for concern. So sometimes we've got to do some self-diagnosis. Is there, is there evidence of life in my life? I mean spiritual life, not just going through the motions, but is there evidence of spiritual life? And then we would take it to God. We would take it to God in prayer and say, I'm not feeling it. Don't fake it till you make it. But if you're not feeling that, you need to pray and be honest with God and say, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling joy, I'm not feeling bold, I can't be bothered looking at the Bible, I go to church because I'm expected to, but I want something more. I want you. I want you more than anything else. And in prayer and confession doing that. Well, what more? Well, it's a bit more difficult, isn't it, if you have had that experience of God. But maybe it was a, a while ago. Maybe you did feel that. Maybe you did feel those things. But now it's 20 or 30 years on and you've been there and done that. You've heard a million sermons. You've been to church a thousand times and it really is not doing it for you anymore. Well, what do you do? Well, it's a difficult one. I mean, what, what's the question? Does God only give the Holy Spirit once? Some people, some people say, that's the way it is. So it's like the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That's the one, you just get it once. That's enough. And so if it's depleted over time, well, what do you do? Others, and this has been, this is the fascinating thing about Acts, I think, is when you read through the book, because it's not didactic, because it is descriptive, people have got all sorts of ideas for how it actually works, how the spirit actually works. So the Methodists would say, it's like Pfizer, you need two. So you have the first one, this is when the union with Christ happens. And then a little later, I'm not sure if it's three weeks or 12 weeks with, like Pfizer, but a little later, you get another, uh, another falling of the Spirit upon you, which brings you to purity and sanctification. And they believe that that's, that's the place where then you don't have this impulse to sin. If you sin, you sin willfully, not because of Adamic sin. 
Pentecostals also believe in the Pfizer version, but they say you get the Holy Spirit once at uh, conversion, and then later you receive power. You receive power from God to do all sorts of things, and that's often accompanied by tongues. The um, reformer Zwingli said three times. Three. There's three separate occasions. D.A. Carson, I was reading, he said, I'm not sure if I believe in two-stage, but I think I probably believe in three, four, or five-stage. Well, what's the point? The point is that all of that, I think, is just the result of looking at the scriptures and then things that they have observed in their lives. And you may have observed. You may have observed someone become a Christian and it seems like they're, they're fully in, but then later on something else happens. You go, wow, they have changed. They've changed. Suddenly they've, they've got a new feeling for God. They've got a, a new desire for God. And, you, and they're trying to explain that, I guess. And really, does it matter? Does it really matter? The fact is that uh, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, ask for the Holy Spirit and, and God will give it to you. Uh, you know, what happened in Corinth, you, you wonder what was it? You see, when you read through that book of Corinthians, you'll see that it wasn't just a sudden loss, I don't think, of the Holy Spirit in their life. But they had a situation where someone was sleeping with their stepmother and it was no problem to them. Doesn't that indicate that it's, this isn't some kind of overnight problem? And some people were pushing ahead of each other at communion and stuff you if you don't get enough of what's here. That indicates that that's an underlying problem. It probably existed for some time. And some were saying, we're under grace, so it really doesn't matter what I do. And others were saying, we're reigning as kings already. You see, the, the, the problem is that over time, there can be a dissipation of the Holy Spirit in our life. Not because the Holy Spirit isn't enabling us, not in, because the Holy Spirit isn't able to do all things, but because we are resisting him in some way. It may be a small way. Or it starts off in a small way and suddenly we're out of contact. And you know, it is true that Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. But sometimes the life isn't getting to the, to the, to the end of those branches. Not because the life isn't there and available, the sap isn't available, it's because we're not drawing on it. And that was a lesson that uh, Paul spoke to them very carefully about. The thing about the Holy Spirit and when we talk about it it can be quite divisive and people say well, I'm a bit suspicious of anything beyond that initial reception of the Holy Spirit I don't like emotionalism and I don't like um, strange things happening but I think one thing that I've learned in my Christian life is that God can do anything at any time at any place that he chooses you know, the greatest clarity that I ever had about God and his purposes in every way, the greatest clarity I've ever had in my life was when I was 17. Because I knew it all then. I knew exactly how it worked. I knew why sin was in the world. I knew who God was. And it seems like since that time, it's been an unlearning to recognise that God is far, far bigger than anything that I imagined that he breaks out of all those boxes. And I think deliberately so, that when we look through the book of Acts and we see how the Holy Spirit was received, we don't have it one, two, three. 
we have a, a strange order and things that are out of order. And people are trying to make a systematic theology out of a God who is not systematic in a human way, but responds to needs and responds to his own will in doing things uh, and his sovereignty. So my answer to that is don't be surprised by what God does. When we read through Acts, I think one of the things that you notice, if you, when we got to Acts chapter 7, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but Stephen gives a long, it's a long chapter, chapter 7, whoever had that, I think it was Matt Devonish. It's a long chapter. And he goes, well, you know, he called Abraham, and then, and then, he, and then there was Moses, and then there was Exodus. It's very long. And at the end of it, you think that he's just relating some history. So what's the problem? At the end of, them, at the end of it, they stone him to death. Why? Because Stephen was getting at, at the nub of the issue, which is the Jewish people had put God in this box. And the box was everything had to happen in Jerusalem. It was all about the temple. And Stephen was saying, look at your own history. God appeared in Sinai. That's not Jerusalem. He appeared in Haran. That's not Jerusalem. That temple that you got there isn't the original. It was the tabernacle, in fact, that was inspired by God. But you see, you can be so myopic that you see God in this kind of way, you can't see him outside that box. They could not see Jesus as the Messiah because he fitted outside that box. And we can be like that too. So one of the lessons that I've learned through life is to accept God as he reveals himself, regardless of our preconception, how we've been brought up, what we've always believed. Allow yourself to be changed by the Holy Spirit of God. I just read uh, yesterday an uh, interview with Jackie Pullinger. She was a young girl who, kind of at the instigation of the Holy Spirit, at the age of 17 or 18, took a boat. Uh, I think I might have told you this before, terrible advice, but the minister, she said, what shall I do? I want to follow God. He said, get on a boat around the world and just get off wherever God tells you. So she did. This was in the early 1960s. She got off in Hong Kong. Short story is she's been there for 60 years ever since and experienced amazing blessing of God and amazing conversions of people in that place, in a desperate place. Amazing. But she was, uh, she was interviewed just recently and uh, she was saying that someone had come to Christ. They were often drug dealers. She said a, a drug dealer came to Christ just last week and in our worship service he recited Philippians chapter 2 which was lovely, but she said he'd never read Philippians chapter 2. In fact, he wasn't even capable of reading Philippians chapter 2, and he read it in a language he didn't know. I didn't read it, he recited it in a language he didn't know. Well, again, from a Holy Spirit point of view or from a godly point of view, look at that and say, well, where does that come from? Is that something that's likely to lift Christ high? Is that something that's, that's going to make a change? That person's life is changed from that day forward? That he loses his drug habit and now wants to follow Christ? Acceptance. Acceptance of things, even if they're uncomfortable, uh, is important. God can use people. In my own experience, um, like I say, I, I came to Christ. No miraculous thing, no tongues of fire above my head. You probably had that experience too, but there was a change in me, and, it, and, and it, I've never been the same since. I had a subsequent um, experience of God, unexpected, unsought, but in a situation where um, God put something into my mind, he put a person into my mind, at the same time that person had received a 
a message for me. I think I've told you this before, but rang up Amory and I and said, I think I've got a message from God. This is two or three weeks before I heard anything. But those kind of things, what I would say is act. If an impulse comes, act on that impulse. If it's in accord with, with the Bible, and if the, person, you know, if the person's telling you something and you think this is something that, again, is in line with the Holy Spirit, then don't let your prejudice keep you away from that because there can be great blessings. In Acts chapter 4, uh, you might know that the Holy Spirit, in the end of John, um, there's, this ex there's this time where Jesus got the disciples together and he has them in a room and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Then in Acts chapter 2, much, much later, weeks later, there's a falling of the Holy Spirit upon these people. They're speaking in tongues, they're, they're devoted to the fellowship and so on. Another experience of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, they're in a room, uh, there's persecution, they're looking for boldness. They pray for boldness. Lord, give us boldness. And it says the room was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God provides the Spirit as needed and as he designs in accord with as he wills. It's his gift. And your gift may be different to someone else and your experience might be different from someone else. And I don't think the experience matters and we should never chase an experience. It's about those first things. Do you love God's word? Are you excited about knowing more about God? Do you feel Christ is lifted high? Do you love the brothers and sisters? John says, we know we've passed from death to life. Why? When we've got this feeling of assurance? When we feel we can walk through brick walls? Nothing so miraculous like that, but if we love the brothers. We know we've passed from death to life. If we love, it is a sign of the Holy Spirit's work within us. And then, are we serving our brothers and sisters? Do we see a place of ministry? Do we see, I'm an arm, I'm a leg, I'm a toe, I'm supposed to fit in here somewhere? and seeking that. that. That is the question. That's the thing to seek, to seek um, God's will. And in terms of working out the will of God, um, I would say that prayer and Bible reading seem to be, again, historically, the, the graces, the means of grace by which God brings us into this place of closeness to him and the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer. Deep prayer, not cursory prayer, but deep prayer to God, speaking to him and asking him for more of himself. Removing, the, and, and as he brings to you blockages in your life, not only major sins, major sins, get rid of those. You've got a major sin in your life, it's going to be very difficult for the Holy Spirit to do much with this major sin weighing you down. Get rid of those. But the minor ones too, that indifference to others, that care for material and carnal things rather than the things of the spirit. That putting our will uh, top of the list. Those things. Reading the scriptures as scripture speaks to us. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I found and you have found, I'm sure in your best days, that he speaks to you through his word. Powerful. Either encouragement or counsel or warning, whatever it is. Or uh, an understanding of his character and personality. Drawing love from you as you see the kind of God he is. I'm going to get four testimonies um, read from people. Um, I asked a couple that you'll know, Colin and Marg, um, whether they had any experience with the Holy Spirit, whether this had been 
a Pfizer or a Johnson & Johnson, so I got theirs. Uh, and then a couple of historical ones. So I'll ask um, Colin first to read Collins and Helen to read Margs. So this is from Colin? Yeah. My dramatic change was at conversion when I put my trust in Jesus at age 24. I really did become a new creation. Old motivations and desires and goals were replaced with new ones. That experience, however, was not accompanied by outward signs like speaking in tongues, being slain in the spirit, etc. Neither have I had a subsequent to conversion experience of baptism in the spirit, although I did seek that, especially in my first few years as a believer. I've certainly read many accounts of it. D.L. Moody comes to mind. Amazing. short time and asked a couple who we trusted about their experience. They told us and then prayed for us, asking God to help us speak in tongues. Nothing happened at that time. However, later, one night when everyone else had gone to bed, I was sitting on the couch. I can't remember if I was praying, but anyway, it was like a wave upon wave of what I would describe as God's love swept over me. I also started speaking in a language that I didn't understand. I'm not sure what you call this, whether it's a baptism or filling of the spirit, but it was very special. After that, I really wanted to pray much more than I had before and also be more bold in praying, especially out loud. When we went back to Kay, some other team members said I had changed. So there were inner changes that I noticed and ones that others had noticed. Interesting that there are married couples, so they had the same experience. One had an experience that changed them irrevocably um, for their life, but no external evidence of that. Marg, uh, presumably the same occasion or some time later, received that. What's the answer to that? The answer is God provides his gifts as he wills. As he wills. Paul says not all speak in tongues. Obviously God determines that. The, the determination of those two between Colin and Mark to me is not about what happened, but about who they are as a result of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that it? It's about who they are as the Holy Spirit has ministered into their lives. We should never chase an experience, but we should chase an intimacy with God more than a superficial nodding relationship with God. We go, yeah, God, we see him in the morning from time to time, an intimate relationship with God, which will reveal itself in a changed heart, joy, boldness, um, and a ministry to others. Okay, the next one is a guy called Samuel Chadwick. He was a Methodist minister, had a desire from God from an early age, worked in a, uh, I think it was a coal mine, 12 hours a day, but really wanted to be a preacher. So at the age of 15, I think, Stayed up to three o'clock in the morning learning Greek and Hebrew and other things. Ministered to a church. Um, did okay, but never felt that he had the power. 
a bit frustrating because I don't know exactly what he's, and he said. He talks about around his experience, but doesn't exactly talk about exactly what happened. But um, yeah, if you'd like to read it for us, Laura. I owe everything to the gift of Pentecost. It came to me when I was not seeking it. I was about my heavenly father's business, seeking means whereby I could do the work to which he had called and sent me. And in my search I came across a prophet, heard a testimony, and set out to seek I knew not what. I knew that it was a bigger thing than I had ever known. It came along the line of duty in a crisis of obedience. When it came I could not explain what had happened, but I was aware of things unspeakable and full of glory. Some results were immediate. There came into my soul a deep peace, a thrilling joy, and a new sense of power. My mind was quickened. I felt that I had received a new faculty of understanding. Every power was vitalized. My bodily powers were quickened. There was a new sense of spring and vitality, a new power of endurance, and a strong man's exhilaration in big things. Things began to happen. What we had failed to do by strenuous endeavour came to pass without labour. It was as when the Lord Jesus stepped into the boat that with all their rowing had made no progress, immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. It was gloriously wonderful. Destitute of the fire of God, nothing else counts. Possessing fire, nothing else matters. Frustrating because he doesn't exactly say what happened, but he did say that he threw away all his sermon notes. He was a man that was very meticulous about his sermons and about motivating people. He threw them in the fire and he said, On the next, he'd preached in this place for seven years with no results. On the next Sunday, he spoke and seven people were converted. He said, One for every year of his fallow years, if you like. But he puts it down to the fact that before he was relying upon himself, he wasn't connected in with the Holy Spirit. And he knew the difference between living the life, if you like, the Christian life, but actually having the fire of God within him. D.L. Moody was one that um, uh, Colin referenced. So Thomas, do you read D.L. Moody's experience? I remember two holy women who used to come to my meetings. It was delightful to see them in the congregation. When I began to preach, I could tell by the expression on their faces that they were praying for me. At the close of the Sunday evening service, they would say to me, we have been praying for you. I said, why don't you pray for the people? They answered, you need power. I need power, I said to myself. Why? I thought I had power. I had a large Sunday school and the largest congregation in Chicago. There were some conversions at the time I was, in a sense, satisfied. But right along, these two godly women kept praying for me, and their earnest talk about being anointed for special service set me thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me, and we got down on our knees. They poured out their hearts that I might receive the anointing from the Holy Spirit, and there came a great hunger into my soul. I did not know what it was, I began to pray as I never did before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service 
the hunger increased. I was praying all the time that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I asked him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you gave me all the world. It would be as the small dust of the balance. They're powerful experiences, aren't they? He went on to say something else, D.L. Moody. He said, a great many think because they've been filled once, they're going to be full for all time. But, oh, we are leaky vessels. We have to be kept right under the fountain all the time in order to stay full. Paul said something, uh, and I wonder if you'd turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Perhaps gives us uh, an indication of where we, where we need to head with this. What advice would he give us if we're feeling in a place not empowered, not bold, not full of love? If we've moved, we've been depleted. Uh, I love the verse in verse 13, wake up. 5 verse 13, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. That's what he would call, call us to. Wake up. Just wake up. He goes on to say, be very careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? I could go to any part of this church can I because we've all been Christians for a long time what's what's the Lord's will tell me what's the Lord's will Catherine you know you know some of the Lord's will tell me of the bit that you know to glorify God is that all of his will if we exhausted it send us to repentance repentance is God's will yeah anything other sorry to seek his face to love one another. Sorry, bear fruit. Yeah, it's not a very complicated will of God, is it? There's not many, many parts. Are there any more bits? Are there any bits we've missed about the will of God? To believe in his son Jesus. To be sanctified. To know. Yeah, to know his love. That's a great word, know, isn't it? To experience it, to know it. Pat? Oh, I'm glad somebody mentioned the people out there. To be a witness. He wants other people to know him. Anything else? Yes, to show his love to those who don't know. There are many facets of God's world, but I reckon there's enough there to be getting on with. Do you reckon? He says, know the will of God. And when he says to know the will of God, 
to know what the Lord's will is, to understand what the Lord's will is, do you really think he means to cognitively know, oh yeah, that's what God's about? It's to do it. It's to do God's will. And then he says, do not, be getting, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another. And you notice how that, the filling with the Spirit exhibits itself in speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Again, not an individual experience, but this is something that fills us up so that we can fill others up. Spiritual songs. He says, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit wants to exalt Jesus Christ. He wants to give glory to the Father. That's what that's all about. One of the most fascinating verses, I think, in the New Testament, that be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he doesn't say, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. As if we have some resource where we can say, okay, get this Holy Spirit into me. Be filled be filled. In, in the um, parallel to that in Colossians, you know, a very similar verse. It says, let the word of Christ dwell, uh, what is the word here? Is it powerfully? Richly. That's the word I was looking at. Richly. Let the word of Christ dwell richly. Same kind of thing. What does it mean to dwell richly in this? It's the word of Christ, the power of God has some effect. In other words, that your life is not a life where you're not seeking the will of God. It's not a life where you're concerned with a whole load of other things. It's not a life where you don't give time to God and to his people and to his will. But it's dwelling richly. It's, 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 it's bringing rewards. It's getting more bounteous as time gets up. Not depleted as it was uh, in, in Corinth. Oops. And the other thing about that verse, which is really interesting, is that it is in the present tense. Just as the other one is about drinking, don't be, don't be drunk, it says. But actually it says, don't be getting drunk. And be filled with the Spirit is be being filled with the Spirit, continually filled with the Spirit. That's the idea. And it seems to me that when you're continually filled with the Spirit, this is when God works through us and it works through us as a church, that God's will is being done. You see, if there's one person in our church that is being, that the word of Christ is dwelling richly in, it's not going to have much effect, is it, on our community. But if two and three and four and 80 and 100 people are being consistently filled, praying to God, reading his word, having an experience of the spirit, that's, that's the will of God. Because then we'll be discipling one another. We'll be committed to fellowship with one another. We'll care about the people outside. We'll be giving glory to Jesus Christ. We won't hold on to our material resources as if they're ours. But we'll recognise them as kingdom resources. So I'm going to pray that that would be the case. That we are continually filled. And I think this continual filling is something that all of us can experience. And if God chooses to bring some dramatic thing into your life. And you find yourself sitting on the couch... And the love of God washes over you like, like Mark felt. And you've got a desire for praying. Just thank God for that gift. And you're speaking in an un, unknown tongue. If you're in a place and you have an experience of God that just fills you with love towards another brother and sister. Or fills you with love for Christ. Or gives you a, a gift of empathy or discernment. Or like uh, Paul with uh, Elemas and Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, a discernment to look into someone's life and saying you're on the, you're on the right path. Then accept that as a gift from God. Can I pray? And thought so when I pray, it's appropriate. Uh, I thought 
uh, appropriate for me to kneel to do that. And it was only uh, as I was in my preparation, I got to Ephesians chapter 4, and I thought this would be a great verse to finish uh, as a prayer, and Paul starts off by, I kneel before you. So it would seem strange if I stood while I, I kneel. But let me kneel and let me pray uh, to our God using those words. I kneel before you, our Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith richly. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, I pray these things for myself, for this church. I pray that you would give us an experience of your spirit in our lives, powerfully changing us, changing our desires, filling us with love. I pray that if there are people in this place today who do feel that the Spirit has dissipated on, in their life or they've never really experienced it, I pray, Father, that you would bring that into their lives. And I pray that those people would pray. And I pray that those people would bring people around them to pray, to have a glimpse of who you are. We give thanks to you, Father, for you are the Father of every good gift, that when we ask for bread, you don't give us a stone that you ask us to keep on knocking and keep on seeking and we will find. So I thank you for the glorious riches of Jesus Christ that we have experienced. I thank you for your glorious word, for your glorious son and all praise to the Father through the Son in Jesus' name. Amen.